Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Silent Class with myself, Ollie and Glint. Hi Ollie, how are you doing mate? So today we're talking about a Scunthorpe game, so just one game to talk about. Um, so we're recording on Sunday night and um, yeah, we're going to kind of share our thoughts on the game and also probably yeah, share a few thoughts on what the fans felt and um, yeah, I think there's quite a bit for us to discuss again. Yeah, obviously we talked last week about how important that game was going to be and it's it's turned out to not have gone the way we were hoping, has it Ollie? So there's been quite a lot of fallout, hasn't there, from what uh, Mellon said, from what people think of the tactics, where we're going, people talking about the chairman and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, it's going to be another uh, episode a bit like the Berry game last week with certainly we've lots to discuss. So uh, yeah, I think we want to dig into it, don't we? So let's get on with it. Lynch shoots. There it is, the open goal. Tommy Lynch has scored for Shrewsbury. Through the wall, past Barry Richardson. So, Ollie, yes. Uh, our last game. <laughs> Scunthorpe at home. A 1-0 loss. Uh, goal from David Murphy right on the stroke of half-time. Well, just after half-time, wasn't it? Into injury time. So, um, before we get into what, what went on, probably just worth recapping the team. Obviously, look while I started in goal. Uh, Brown returned from his little injury layoff at Berry. Um, two centre backs were Lancashire and McGiven. Obviously, Grimmer then moved back out to right back because uh, Riley was injured, which was a bit of a late late call. We didn't really know about that. And then in midfield, we played another four apparently. So Deegan and Agogo centre mids, and then O'Brien and Wally on the wings. And then Dodds, strangely, was partnering uh, Seb up front. So um, yeah, that was the team. <laughs> Holly, where where should we begin? I think let's just uh, talk about really why Dodds was up front. That was probably the thing that struck me that at first. What you know that he was going to be playing up front as a as a two with uh, with Tony injured. What did you make of the team when you first saw it? Yeah, I think it's pretty um, bit of classic Salop at the moment. Didn't really know what it was. But I kind of put a message on the Twitter account. Kind of I thought maybe it was four three three at first, and then um, a guy called Jack said no, no. I think it is actually. Um, um, four two three one, and I was like, "Yeah, you're probably right." And yeah, then we lined up four four two um, with Dodds up front. I was quite surprised. Yeah, it, it, I, I guess that it was. It's sort of the first time we played four four two this season, isn't it? Really, and well, in a, in a, I, I think we probably played it in bits of games before. I can't recall us starting four four two. So, yeah, Tony being injured was a bit of a blow because he was slightly impressive last week in some of the bits he'd done. And I think we've sort of talked about the mobility issues that we think that old Ebanks Blake might have, and, and we'll come back to that. But yeah, when we got in there, I suppose that it wasn't a team that you you thought couldn't win a game. You know, after what had gone on at Berry in the late win, you thought that's a team that can go out there. Initially, it looked more attacking, didn't it, than the Berry game? You know, having two wingers and two front players that that at least made it think like we were going to be going for it a little bit more is that what you thought Ollie that's sort of what I thought at least yeah I thought it was encouraging I do like four at the back so that was good um I thought um having Grimmer and Brown back in the side that was going to give us some options on them the full backs but um yeah no it was it was surprising I see Dodsmore as an attack midfielder and I think mm. as we talked through the game he kind of if he kind of drifted into that role but um yeah I was, well I was, and as we said from our prediction last week we didn't go into the game with a lot of confidence but um yeah I still thought we had a chance yeah well you start every game with a chance don't you and I think that's what that's what we all wanted so you know it started off better, didn't it? Let's, let's start. This is probably going to go down on this podcast, much like the, the game went yesterday, really, isn't it? Because Town did start off playing a little bit better than they had done in recent home games, and certainly better than away at Berry. And, and they actually had more possession. That was one positive to take from it, wasn't it? Really? They, they had a bit more ball. They sort of were able to knock it around a bit more, but that cutting edge was completely lacking again in the first half, wasn't it? So it, it was a sort of a tale of two halves. How, how do you view that, Ollie? Do you do you think that us having more of the ball and knocking it around quite nicely is actually a positive, or is it the fact that that just is putting in stark contrast how how little of a of a chances we're creating from that much ball? You know, how do you view that really? Because I know what I think about it, but um, yeah, I'd say I'd say we kind of had. We had that scramble chance to me from a corner, mm. and then when Wally had that long range shot with a nice little bit of build up, um, I think compared to the Berry game, clearly we did play better. So fair play to the management and the team; they did improve on going forward. Yes. Yeah, However, they only seem to improve for like I'd say like our defensive third and kind of just going over the halfway line into their third. But as soon as we got to their kind of like bank midfield and their their defenders, I think we really struggled. So yes, we did knock the ball around and there was some nice a few nice interchanges and occasionally we did kind of get through them. You know, it was a few nice passer moves and we kind of kind of got into them got into them but it didn't happen enough no and it certainly didn't happen enough for, for anyone to for me to say that that was a great first half it was a no. good first half it was better than Berry, but it was not a great or an excellent first half yeah I think it's quite interesting isn't it I think me and you have been sort of flabbergasted by some of the things coming out of the football club post-match and I think that someone described that match in the first half as an excellent first half and I, I, I'm sorry I can't ever 
say that Shrewsbury Town were excellent when you go in losing one nil. You know, it's yeah, just this... and, you only, and you didn't really have a. If you if you'd been like, say, for example, I don't know, if you'd been a Berry fan or the Berry <laughs> club um, in the first half last week, yeah, and they, you'd probably say they had an excellent first half because they created three or four clear chances mm. but yeah you can't be losing <laughs> and not you know if the goalkeeper had made um, five wonderful saves or you hit the crossbar on the post yeah you could claim it's an excellent first half but yeah those things didn't happen no they didn't and and you know they had just as many half chances and, and scramble chances sort of other than the goal they had some pretty good chances in the first half that were equally as excellent as our chances so I wouldn't say we're excellent I, I, I would say that it was it was encouraging at least and, and the, the goal which will come to him it was a bit of a kick in the teeth but we, we talked at half time didn't we, Ollie? just so people know you know I think people are starting to understand me and Ollie see each other quite a lot at football but very rarely outside that because he lives so far away but Ollie you sit like two rows behind me don't you literally almost completely behind us and we, we turned around and all sort of have yeah. a chat at half time and you said to me well you know you were sort of like intimating that you was you were saying we've had more ball but is that because Scunthorpe were pretty happy for us to have it you know I, I kind of agree with you really they were they were pretty comfortable to step off us because they knew we didn't really have any cutting edge if any of them would watch any of our games in the last few weeks they would have known that so you know you, you were probably right there weren't you yeah yeah I think so and I think also it's interesting when you go listen back and I was listening to um, the managers Scunthorpe managers whose names completely come from my head yeah, um, but um, <laughs> he was saying that you know, the changes made at half time and we didn't start the game very well so he had high expectations and they didn't start the game too well Shrewsbury did quite well but yeah they were definitely let's say below par on their performances so mm. far this year yeah I'll come back to their manager in a minute because we gave Flickcroft a lot of pra- praise last week didn't we and I say I've forgotten his name not you but he made some subs on half time didn't he you know I know we'll come to that in a minute but you know those substitutions were um, absolutely vital really in terms of the game but uh, yeah we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute let's, let's just go back to the first half obviously you talked about our two chances and then there was a, a lot of passing for, for town but no penetration let's let's go back to the goal then at least and what, what were your views on the goal you know um, I thought it was a bit of a soft goal to give away. I'm um, sorry, soft yeah, soft goal to give away and a soft foul to give away. So it was a, if I remember, it was a pull on the shirt. Yeah, um, and then just sloppy kind of sums up Tan's defending this season, doesn't it? Sloppy goal to give away. Ball fluff lofted into the box. Little cheeky little flick on. Um, no one from a town defensive point of view was near the guy at all mm. to try and stop him. Lutviler can't really blame Lutviler for that one and just kind of just trickled one well, trickled and it just kind of bounced into over the line it was another poor um, goal to concede it was and it, it, how many times are we going to talk about it this season on the podcast about set pieces and Shrewsbury's inability to really deal with them you know it's becoming a bit of a problem I saw that um, the Shropshire star they've got Bernard McNally working for them this season and he's sort of going to be doing sort of like post-match uh, I think sort of video pieces that they're going to put up on the on the website the Shropshire star website and it was, his one this week was talking about how to defend set pieces and his view, I guess he's only just started working so we can't upset the club too much, was that it's almost impossible to defend a quality free kick, which Bernard McNally is an ex-professional footballer and a bit of a hero around Shrewsbury, but I'm not too sure, one, that was an excellent delivery that you couldn't defend, and, and two, that it, it's impossible always. If you look at the highlights, we were slack. We, we we didn't have men touch tight, you know. We were certainly missing El Hab's leadership, you know. If you want to talk back about how important his sending off was, it's situations like that where... You know, I do get the feeling that he's the one that's drilling into the players where they should be, what they should be doing, and where they should be standing. So, you know, maybe that red card has probably had more of an effect, you know, in that certain specific moment there than than potentially we realised on the day. But it certainly felt to me like we weren't quite as tight as we could have been in that situation. And that's been the story of our set pieces this season, hasn't it? In terms of the defend, defending of them, and it doesn't look like it's going to be changing anytime soon, does it? No, I'd, I'd, I'd slightly disagree with you in terms. Of, I thought it was a good ball. No, okay. um, I thought it was it was a good a good free kick, and they put it they put it into a perfect area, yeah, so yeah. along the six yard line. But um, but yeah, def- poor defensive. Yeah, I would agree. It, good free kick, but not impossible to defend. Do you know what I mean? No. If you get touch tight, you, you, at least make the man you know work for that header. He, he, he did have too much space there, didn't he, to just be able to? Yeah, get he that did have space on. and time, and no one's putting any pressure on him. Yeah, but I, I agree. Look, while they're pretty blameless in that situation, it's almost like a you know it's a goal. As soon as you get that flick, and it's far enough away from the goalkeeper he's not going to get a hand to it so yeah obviously we'd um <laughs> we played okay we I think for me we we played okay up until only maybe 30 minutes I know a lot of people were saying that oh, was a good half for me when it got to 30 minutes and then not far after 30 minutes there was a bit of a clash wasn't there and uh one of their players went down and that sort of broke our little 
momentum that we had. And from then on, we, we struggled to dictate the game like we were doing. Um, and, and that, for me, was, was what happened in the first half. And then uh, it kind of got a bit scrappy, didn't it, towards the end of the second half. There was a couple of challenges, and Lancashire had to go off and get his sort of injury sorted once. And Deegan was lucky not to get booked for a pretty bad tackle, which should have been a yellow, shouldn't it? Do you remember that? It was awful. Yeah, it should have been a yellow. I, I, I was, um, watched that back on the highlights, and he, I'm... And I thought at the time he looked dodgy, and um, I looked watch it again, and um, he was lucky not to get sent off there. Yeah, you know, it was. It wasn't just he didn't get a yellow. It wasn't just a yellow. It was a very like you know a yellow is a yellow, but it was a strong yellow mm. if you had given him a book. So yeah, we were very lucky to get away from that there. And yeah, you're right. The kind of um, we were giving away a lot of fouls. They were getting quite a few corners um, at the end of the half, and um, yeah. Um, half time came quite nicely for Scunthorpe, and um, yeah, they made a few changes, didn't they? They did, didn't it? And they, you know, they they played to, for the full time in the first half, and when we did, we were just slack for that one little moment, and you know, and and that's what kills you at the end of the game. So uh, as soon as as soon as that goal went in and whistle blew, I turned around to my brother, and the first thing he said was, "That game's gone. Their heads, their heads will go. They won't get back from this." And my brother goes pretty much every week, so uh, you know, he he knows what he's talking about in some respects. And I think I probably we probably you know we were all pretty much thinking the same thing, weren't we? Because of what's gone on in the last few weeks that lack of confidence you know that goal was pretty pretty vital wasn't it at the moment it came and, and in terms of the context of the game yeah I didn't have much confidence that we'd come out of that and it was um yeah a little bit deflatory as yeah good word <laughs> yeah <laughs> felt a bit um yeah felt a bit like uh that's gonna, what's gonna happen here especially knowing um how good Scunthorpe have been and knowing that there's only gonna be they're only gonna get better because mm. for them it was a pretty poor half yeah um, but yeah so we went into the second half didn't we and um it was a completely different half of football. Um, I'd say we created um, a couple of decent chances. Yeah, um, we had one with Wally f- um, fired the um, the ball across the box. But it, actually, it's funny you say that, Ollie. I interrupt you. My, me and my dad uh, were having a chat about this today. And I say my dad goes as he was there on Saturday. Um, do you count that as a good chance, right? If a player gets down ah, the line, I was going to get. I was, I was going to say. So yeah, carry on, carry if, on. If I'll, a player I'll gets down the line the and puts a ball right into the danger area and it goes across everyone, but you haven't got a striker in the box, I don't count that as a good chance. I count that as like it's good from the winger. You, you get some credit for it, but I count that as a, as a wasted. Is it not? It's, it's like an opportunity, but it's not a good chance, is it? It's not like a. It's not like a chance we should have took because Seb bloody Ebanks Blake was on the halfway line. He was having a pasty or something. He was nowhere near the ball, so it was like. You know, I don't really count that as a chance, to be honest with you. It was good play, but, you know, we we obviously didn't have enough forwards there to, to make advantage of it. So, yeah. Anyway, but, it, you know, I know what you're talking about, yeah, but that's my, I'd my say, view on I would, it. Yeah, I'd just, I'd just a bit, been a bit cheeky. I'd say it was our best chance. Yeah, Not sad, necessarily a good chance. <laughs> so that was our best chance. But, yeah, I totally agree with you. It winds me up when fans go, um, I don't know, yeah, Winger runs down the line, whips in a good cross, and he's like, oh, I can't believe no one was there. Mm. But, well, if there was no one there, why was he crossing the ball? Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with you. It winds me up a little bit. I think you know it was good play, and Eblance Blake was a bit behind play. Um, a bit. And he didn't really get there in time. Um, but um, yeah, that was that was it. And then I guess the only other chance to kind of like summarise the game. I think there's a lot more for us to talk about than rather than the actual game itself. There was, and then there was that nice time when um, Grimmer put a ball down the flank down to Leach Smith, who put it back to try and find Dodds. But yeah, yeah, that was um, there, Took there a bit wasn't too long, much. Didn't yeah, yeah, there wasn't too much in terms of chances for Shrewsbury and, and how did they not score a second yeah Paddy Madden at the back post wasn't it yeah. um, and and he's had a pretty good season to be there I was I was I was following the um Scunthorpe uh, Twitter account which was yeah. quite interesting reading because you'd think being top of the league they'd be proper happy with it. They were absolutely you know, going on their fanzine account as a, as a reflection of what the fans at the game were thinking because the guy was there. They were raging with with their team. They th- It was the worst they played all season, you know, which was evident because they were definitely there to be beaten, weren't they? Um, and they said, and they sort of said for that Madden chance, well, that's just Madden's day all over. He's had a stinker today and he might as well get subbed off. And then, lo and behold, five minutes later, the, the manager hauled him off, didn't he? But just just going back, you know, I think the, the, the game changed really because of something we talked about last week. Mickey Mellon's inaction when when the SHIT hits the fan at half time we obviously gone goal goal down we're at home in a game that he really needs to win and as usual he sticks to his guns he, he stays with the tactic he didn't really change all that much didn't make any substitutions the Scunthorpe guys the Scunthorpe manager they've just gone 1-0 up in a game they're winning but they've been pretty much outplayed for large parts of the first half he made two substitutions and he changed their he's changed their formation um, they they sort of went a bit different and it completely unsettled us and that's what I think changed the game That their manager was a bit ballsy and, and that's probably one of the reasons why he's getting the most out of his players now because they can trust that he's going to make decisions that are going to be the best for them whereas we've got a manager that never really does it it never, never really makes that positive 
you know balls on the line change and and that was a big part of the game for me yeah no i i totally i totally agree um i think that the second half was very poor from shrewsbury very poor, uh, yeah. yeah i think i think maybe um in terms of how we go through the the kind of game uh, maybe we'll talk about um post match mm. post match interview and then we can maybe talk about some other things but um i think we'll maybe i don't know we can do tactics now maybe or come back to it later would you yeah agree? i mean what else happened in the game really that was to talk about in terms of in terms of the players we probably want to do our top 3 before we move on to what happened afterwards i mean um you know there there were some standout players i th- i thought agogo was pretty good in what he did he was sort of busy got around yeah. i think i'd probably make him my man in the match um i think i'd say the same for for Deegan as well i'd probably make him my number 2 he worked hard got involved um and who for number three i think i thought considering lancashire had come in and i know that we had we had the one goal i thought for a young lad and he got a big clock on his head didn't he, he was for anyone that doesn't know he was wearing a massive bandage on his head for most of the game from a from a blood injury i think he did all right i think i'd give him probably give him my third to be honest with you what about you what about your top three very very similar actually just the other way around I mean, it was pretty hard to choose a top three from this game. But I went for Grimmer first. Okay. Uh, I thought he was good defensively. Um, nothing really went down his side. And he did, for for the lack of support he had, I think he did all right going forward. A go-go, yeah, was pretty solid. And yeah, I went for Lancaster as well. It was quite funny when you mentioned that because I'd gone for Lancaster as well. I thought there's a couple of times where um, Van Veen kind of got away from him and had a bit of a shot. But overall, I thought he was he was all right. But yeah. that doesn't say a lot for the rest of the players. No, he won a lot of headers, didn't he? But he didn't win half as many as the bloody Scunthorpe centre-back. Especially in the last yeah. 10 minutes, we just basically changed our tactics didn't we so Mangan came on it was, it was some weird substitutions wasn't there in, in retrospect looking at it because we left them quite late again and then we get to this whole point which is in the post-match interview stuff we'll talk about about he's playing players that can only play 60 minutes so for me he, he, he said Seb couldn't play 60 minutes Wally couldn't play 60 minutes I like Grimmer he's great he's not 90% fit he could only get, I reckon he was knackered after 8 minutes because there was one moment where um, they were sort of trying to hit us on the counter and he sort of got forward and he was really slow coming back I don't know if you noticed it and Agogo dropped in at right back and Agogo basically in front of the West End when it was quite quiet went you've got to effing work shouted right at Grimmer and everyone heard it and it was like a smattering of applause because he's good and I, I you know, I want him to keep playing for us because he'll get his match sharpness. But even he, having only been playing reserve football and in a few games for us, he's not 100% match fit. And I think you could say the same for yeah. Jim O'Brien. You know, they're not fully fit for you of these players and, and it does worry you, doesn't it, in terms of the fact we've assembled a team and we're coming up to mid-September and we're still... <laughs> We're not match fit. It's a bit of a shambles, that really. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, it was very, very frustrating. Um, and yeah, I think we'll come on to the mm. the um, the fitness thing. But um, yeah, I'm just thinking how to do this because there's lots to talk about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe let's finish summer in the game, mm. summarising the game. I thought maybe actually, um, I did. Um, I do like sending a text message to Shropshire Radio. I don't know if you saw that on the notes. Yeah. And I thought that was well, my summary of the game. So this is what I sent to Shropshire Radio, and um, um, they did read it all out. So I always like that putting your name on there. It's always quite fun, isn't it? Mm. So I said, um, very poor again. First half played to nice football and our half, but no efforts on target. Another sloppy goal conceded. Second half got even worse. Um, three forwards, none with height, being fed long balls because no midfielders wanted the ball or made space. Relying yep. on two fullbacks for attacking threat and width, going backwards shambles. I was pretty fuming. Um, <laughs> like, I remember there was one point in the game where... Um, We'd brought the Lutweiler, had passed it to one of the central defenders, one of the central defenders had passed it to Grimmer, and Grimmer was round the halfway line. And Grimmer looked up, and there was no one. Mm. No one. Everyone was in the box. So it was like we were playing, I don't know, like 4-1, and then like, I don't know, five people in a row in their up there 18 yard by their penalty area mm. there was no one no one dropping deep no one no one space we also we also our attacks were really slow because all of our width came from the fullbacks yeah so we had to wait for them to get the ball then move forward and then try and do something no one was dropping deep our strikers were standstill so no one was creating space scumthorpe fought hard and won um, the game based on their resilient defence. Yeah. And they said that. Their news, I read their Scunthorpe Telegraph, they said that. The manager said that. You know, it was a really hard-fought defensive display and it was because they didn't even try to, they, you know, just tried to play on the counter-attack and why not? You're winning 1-0. Yeah. But the way that we played in the second half was we actually played some nice football. Why didn't we carry on playing that passing football um, in the second half? Mm. He gave it. A, he gave it a bit of a chance, didn't he? And then they changed. It was funny because, you know, we were. 
we played 4-4-2 really that's what Shrewsbury Town's Twitter is telling us that's what the football club wanted us to think that we play in 4-4-2 with Dodds up front alongside um, Sylvan Max Blake but it, as we said before it was apparent that as, as the game went on and we got more a little bit more under pressure at times Dodds was coming deeper and deeper to try and get the ball because he wasn't getting it he can't hit him long he wasn't really making that many runs over the back Seb was basically stationary he just didn't move like the whole game um, someone described him as slower than erosion at the end of the game which I thought was pretty good um, but he, he didn't really move and so um, it was. It was. There was. There was no. There was none of that. But then the other thing was, we we had wingers, but they were really narrow. Like Jim O'Brien, very yeah. rarely came out onto the wing, and he's supposed to be playing on the wing. I, I, I find that really frustrating. Yeah. yeah. First half that was really frustrating because we had we had two strikers inverted bracket inverted commons on Dodds, um, and then obviously I could see what they were doing. They were saying, you know, let's give the fullback some space to come forward, but mm. you don't. I just okay. We're not football managers, so you know no. people could probably blow holes in our argument. <laughs> One day, Ollie. Quite rightly, <laughs> yeah. We never know. Yeah, we never know. Um, but surely you try and start there. You start in that position of wide to try and keep the fullback, and then you come in to try and create space. It was so narrow. Yeah, basically we had O'Brien, we had Worley, we had um, Dodds, and we had a very, um, very um, statue-like striker mm-hmm. um, in the middle of the pitch, and it was just congested. So whenever Deegan and Ogogo got the ball. Their only outball they had was the fullbacks who deferred to them. They did work hard and try and get them down the pitch. And maybe that's why it was Grimmer was so knackered because he was doing two jobs, basically. Yeah. He was doing a job of a winger and top of a fullback. Yeah. And there was no options. So then the second half, they basically just kind of, yeah, they just kind of camped back, went even more defensive. Um, mm. And we had no space. And it was just, it was, I, it was, everyone was talking. You know, it's, you know, we always know the game's not going very well. <laughs> yeah, when you can just hear everyone <laughs> having conversations, multiple people moaning about the game. Mm. Um, well, yeah, multiple, I just found it. Multiple people moaning about melon. It was. We we're going to come on to this big time in a minute about our thoughts on melon. But there was even like all the second half. There was. There's, there was nothing to believe in, was there? Really, there was nothing to get behind. There was no real exciting moments, and the, the, people are just the fans were just very jaded. And and they we did as a fan base try our best to get behind them. There was cheering and chanting and clapping when it was necessary. But it just like the team, the the support petered out. And I don't really think that's unreasonable to say that, is it really? But um, yeah, I, the funniest thing I found about that was we, we obviously were playing completely narrow when we had wingers, but obviously this changes Mellon did make was to take off the wingers, and he made us even more narrow. And we were just <laughs> he like he yeah. just basically put another one up front and then played us in completely narrow, which played into Scunthorpe's hands because when they did counter, every single counter attack they had was completely hugging the line, and and each one of them meant that they almost got away a lot of times. Like that Madden chance came from sort of play down the wing, but two, three or four times they did cut us apart when they were on the counter, and they didn't create as many chances out of it as they probably would have wanted to, but. If we're going to play narrow all the time, it, it's, it is a bit weird. And the weirdest thing about it is we made the pitch bloody narrower, so you'd think that we would actually have wingers who'd be out on the wing now, not just stuck in the middle of the pitch again. It doesn't seem to have made any difference, the bloody narrowing of the pitch, but there you go. So that, that to me, tactically, you know, we'll put one, I'm going to put one negative against Man, and I just don't think that it worked. And, you know, that's my, that's my thoughts, I suppose. Yeah, I was watching um, the um, BT Sport today before the Man United game started. Um, and it was really interesting um, what Jamie, um, Jamie, uh, Steve McManaman said about oh, yeah. um, Man United um, before the game. And it's what he said rings true for Shrewsbury. It was like, I don't know where, he's, where they're going to play and I don't know who's going to play. So every time mm. you see the team, team sheet, like, you don't know who's going to be on there and you don't know where they're going to play. And surely that's going to have an impact Okay, yeah, it's great, I think, for a team to have a couple of tactics, different formations that you can kind of switch and play. You know, I give Mellon a lot of credit for away at Coventry when he changed formation. That worked yeah. really well. That was fantastic. But we started pre-season playing 4-2-3-1, and I saw that in a couple of friendlies, and I thought, fantastic, we're going to have a bit of an identity. We're going to have a formation we're going to play. The team is going to be trained in it, and we're going to kind of play to our strengths. Mm. You know, we saw Leeds, we saw Leeds Smith, we talk about his pace and we were thinking, getting excited. Um, I don't want to talk about strikers right yet. We'll come on to Smith in a bit later. But yeah, it just find it, I just find it a bit frustrating now that um, I was almost criticising people before in this season saying, no, no, Mickey Mellon's doing the right thing. You know, we're training different formations. But but now every game is different. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think it's, infuriating. it's too much. It's infuriating to watch as a fan, isn't it? You know it's weird because if we listen back to our podcast from the start of the season the sort of things we were talking about and saying oh well, it looks like we're building a team like this and we're going to play with this tactic and da 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 and actually it was all a load of rubbish really <laughs> because no, yeah. no one can predict anything Mickey Mellon's going to do and if it comes off fair enough he looks like a tactical genius at the moment he just looks like a bit of a mug really he doesn't he can't not he can't 
he can't not want a uh, yeah that's right he can't not want a settled team do you know what I mean and you know yeah. right, we had a couple of injuries on Saturdays had to move things around and that's a bit unfortunate but strikers and the bringing in of Ebanks Blake and binning off Leach Smith pretty early doors and not having confidence in him and, and other things it's just god we there's a lot of things we could just completely say seem strange and we're not football managers you're right but it seems strange that's all we can really say isn't it as a fan it just seems weird so talking of strange <laughs> um let's go on to um mickey mellon's um interview with bbc shropshire but i think you also wanted to make a comment didn't you about bbc shropshire and i kind of agree with you so you were... yeah so i mean going in the story of the day obviously we've talked about the match and, and our thoughts on it in terms of the fact that you know we've gone through what we thought and then obviously the final whistle um well obviously the first thing that happened on the final whistle was the booze which we are definitely going to come to talking about in a minute and, and the implications of that but the next thing I did was I, I sort of walked out the ground, bumped into a, a few lads. Um, I'd say Sam, Sam Morris, Sean Evans. Um, bumped into them outside the game, and then my brother and about four or five other mates. Um, and everyone was basically saying the same thing that they think Mecky Mellon's time's up. And we're going to come to that as well in a minute. But next thing I did was walked home, put the radio on, and um, I had the pleasure of listening to Mark uh, Mark Elliott, uh, who's obviously the match summariser. And I have to say, this season I've been pretty impressed with the work he's doing. Um, his post-match analysis has been bang on, I think, in terms of the match. He, you know, he obviously knows his onions in terms of football. He's pretty good at sort of sussing out what went wrong for Shrewsbury and, and the implications of it. But I actually found what he said after the match about the football club, where it's at, Mickey Mellon's future, what fans want from Mickey Mellon, which is which is brilliant. He, he seems to have the, the ear of the fans in some respects because what he was saying is exactly the sorts of things that we would think. You know, people want that, like we've been talking about, consistent team. They want to know what the plan is. They want him to come out and admit responsibility for it and give us the ways in which he's going to... Im- in sort of spot what the errors are and how he's going to fix it and, and he's good I, I've say I thought I wanted to say that now because I've been impressed with him I don't know the bloke I've never met him but I thought what he says post-match has been good and it particularly was good on Saturday and um, if anyone from football club listens to it I guess he's probably going to get into a bit of trouble but <laughs> we know what they're like but yeah he, I hope he keeps it up frankly yeah no I, I totally agree I um, now the it's really it's for me it's a miracle not being from Shrewsbury um, the O2, O2 network in Shrewsbury doesn't seem to like foreigners and um, I could never I couldn't even send iMessages at the game last season i've got to tell you something i'll interrupt you you'll come back to your main point but my brother has been on o2 for a long time and he's specifically changed his contract because he gets absolutely no signal uh at the shrewsbury stadium o2 is terrible mate he just moved to free highly recommend three i'm on free i get four g no it's, it's fine now it's fine <laughs> oh right there you go it's maybe it's my brother's this season it, it's compl- yeah maybe, maybe your brother was taking all the bandwidth no now <laughs> it's perfect i can go on the internet all the way through the game oh, it's they've really changed it but the reason i'm saying that is i um, brought um, my headphones with me so I was listening to Shropshire Radio as I was yeah. walking to the car and I heard I heard um, Elliot talk as well and and this is not supposed to be derogatory for BBC at all and um, BBC Shropshire and obviously BBC Shropshire you know it's a regional radio station but the commentary they do is fantastic mm. and it really is top quality yep. and um, and Elliot his um, his summary of the games Either he tells you something, oh yeah, I totally agree with that. But very often as well, he comes and says things that you haven't thought about. Yeah, too. Right. And I remember the first time I really noticed him was a couple of years ago. We were um, playing away at um, Warsaw, and he made a few comments, and I was like, "That's fantastic! That was absolutely brilliant!" And yeah, that's kind of what you want, isn't it? As a fan, you know, you you listen to some, you watch the game, you hear the radio, and and some guy tells you something you haven't thought of. So no, yeah, um, Shropshire Radio was really good. So Shropshire Radio was fantastic. And I would say they asked very fair questions in the interview. So Stuart yeah. Dunn went into the interview, bless him, and um, <laughs> Not yeah, really asked what I thought was pretty fair questions. Too, too right, yeah. And obviously we had a slight, people described it as a meltdown. <laughs> would you think it was full meltdown, Ollie? From um, I've listened to this interview, actually, maybe too many times, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, I've listened to it quite a few times. Um, listening back again, when I listened to so I listened to it, uh, so I, I live in Stourbridge and I was driving on the A458 out and there's, um, my girlfriend came with me and I thought, oh, let's have a drink on the way back. So we stopped off um, at a really nice pub um, called the Riverside Inn, which is oh. right next to the Seven. So yeah. absolutely gorgeous stop. And we just stopped and we were just listening to Mickey Mellon's interview on the radio and we stayed in the car to listen to the end of it. Romantic, Ollie. And we both just... Uh, sorry? That's romantic. <laughs> yeah, she's a lucky girl. And um, and we were just like in shock. Like, what? But I listened back to it again. I think what he said, because Mellon is quite reserved, isn't he? And he is mm. quite calm when he does interviews and he doesn't give anything away, really, in his post-match interviews. It is a little bit of a tick box exercise and you can't blame him for that, you know, if everyone has their styles. And um, But what he said, yeah, there's a few things we're going to go on to now. So let's go into it. So, First thing he said, Salak were better in the first half. Yeah, agree with that. The next bit, and I can't remember what order of the old interview was, but we've kind of put it here. Let's talk about the booze. 
Yes. So, so, um, so Stuart Dunn um, says that um, the reaction at the full time um, there was um, was some booing, and Mickey Mannon's response was, "No, they weren't." And he said that twice. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. That's rubbish. <laughs> there was a few. Um, then he says, "No, they weren't." Again, um, he says, "No, um, no, not over the top like you're trying to suggest." Yeah. Honestly, and I thought that was delusional. unfair. Yeah, it was delusional. I was, um, and the funny thing is, where we sit, so where me and Glyn sit, is full of season ticket holders. Yeah, so whenever cool. you try and buy a seat for a friend or whatever, you can't, it's really hard to get a seat because it's all full of season ticket holders. I took a picture with like 10 minutes to go and it was about, the entire right side, and you probably saw it as well because it's on your row, mm. was completely gone. Everyone had yep. gone. Yep. People started leaving about 15 minutes before the game had ended because it's clearly thought we're never going to get a score, score a goal. Yeah. So every so it was a low attendance anyway. So we had four thousand eight hundred in total with a good following from Scunthorpe, mm-hmm. and there was a boo and there was loud boo. And it, it you was. can't say it was a minority because yeah. that was a loud boo. Yeah, and, and like you're right, the south stand was like completely empty on the final whistle. There was probably no more than about three hundred fans in the south stand. And and I someone actually recorded the the reaction at the end of the game. I think it was from the blocks further along, so the other side of the middle of the stadium. So I think it's that block. 12, 13, something like that. And it, it, it was so noticeable. And it wasn't just people booing. There was so many people shouting, your time's up, Mickey. you got to go. That's it. No, I'm not paying. I'm not coming again while you're it. There were literally people shouting all that sort of thing. Um, and so it wasn't just a, like a slight booing. It was a decisive view in my from where I'm sitting. And that's just my view. It was a decisive reaction from a very mild-mannered set of fans, really, who never really go to town and get that angry. To me, it was a final sort of thanks, but no thanks. We've had enough, and we're not going to sit and watch us lose at home every single bloody week. And for Mellon to come out and say that, I know he's not going to want to turn around and say, "Yeah, I, well, he should have fronted up to it. He should have said, "Yeah, I know they're booing, and they're completely right to boo." And I apologise for today, and I apologise for the yeah. home form over the last few years. You're right to boo, and until we can win, you know, I want you to support us. I want you to get behind us, but I'm going to understand the people that are frustrated. And why why can't football managers say that? All you're going to do is get credibility from that. I guess that they just worry the chairman's going to think that's them giving up. But it's weird, isn't it? You'd think they would just come out and front up and say, "Fair enough, it is what it is." Why why try and look stupid by pretending that it didn't really happen? Weird. Yeah, no, it is weird. And it was one of the things at the start of Mickey Mellon's um, campaign because um, Graham, you know, Graham Turner was a bit more old school. He wasn't so good at the PR game, but I thought no. Mickey Mellon was really good at it. I remember being at Wales, Wimbledon um, in League One and he was waving to the fans and, and he's making a lot of, you know, all the right comments and the right suggestions. Just front it out. Yeah, say the home form isn't good enough. Um, we've lost again. Um, I feel for the fans, they're frustrated. You know, this is their club and I'm going to work damn hard in mm. the week to try and fix it for them. Mm. He was really tetchy, wasn't he, with Danny yeah, as well? There was, was a couple of other answers to other questions about how it was them upstairs and, and you guys. And, and that leads us on to the next thing, I suppose, maybe off the back of that, is his view of the press and, and how, obviously, I'm going to, is it too strong to say toxic, that relationship is? Maybe that's maybe that's too much. But it, it was intimated by some of the guys on Radio Shropshire that all he does is keep the press completely at arm's length now. And I know from personal experience he does not enjoy being interviewed with certain people. From, I just know that. And and so I don't think that relationship is a good thing for the football club, and it's certainly not helping Mellon. And he must just think he's going to get a lynching every time he goes to the press, which with Stu Dunn's not necessarily but he true. he doesn't, does he? No, it's not. It's, it's... <laughs> like, it's, 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 if you were in charge of, you know, if you're, if we're, if we're, if we have Shropshire has aggressive press, what would you say that the Newcastle press is like? Yeah. Or the Man United press? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, like, it's, um, it's not, and Stuart Dunn asks, sometimes I'd actually say in the last few weeks, they were being a bit soft on him. Maybe were, that was a reaction to something, but mm. I don't understand the reaction. And you upstairs, so, what made me think of that? As someone told Mickey Mellon that they've been, um, been, um, I'll be careful my language after being told off last week. <laughs> Has someone been um, telling him that you know they've been saying bad things about you in the yes. game or something? I bet they have. Uh, and the football club is paranoid in some respects, and and it comes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I think it comes a lot from the top and the, and the man at the very top of this football club who is completely un- incapable of taking any kind of negative criticism old Roland Witchley and I can't believe if you run a football club that your demeanour and overall viewpoint on how to take criticism doesn't leach through the whole football club and if you look at a lot of avenues that football club you know and I know and I've worked a lot with sports partner on this sort of thing it's very sometimes it can be really easy to say something and or something to happen which you think is constructive it's taken as a complete and a negative and just puts people's backs up and makes it very difficult to achieve things and, and that's been the same for 20 years and you know, you can't blame Roland Witchley for Mickey Mellon taking umbrage to some questions, but you know, I do feel like there's a 
a, 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 not a siege mentality, maybe a siege mentality. I just think, I don't know, I just think that the club think the fans and the press are out to get them at all times. And it's not the case. We're an absolutely easy bunch of fans in some respects. And we're a pretty placid press in general who ask gen- genuine yeah. questions when they're needed. But Shropshire Star, you know, people often criticise the Shropshire Star, don't they, if you're really not focused on Shrewsbury in their mm. articles. You know, they seem to be getting a bit better at the moment, so that's good. But yeah, um, in the past, guy, they have been bland. Yeah, there's a new guy doing it. But in the past, they have been a bit bland, haven't they? It's just been like almost copy and paste of the match report from um, the, Sh- the Shrewsbury's own very own website. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't get that. But um, yeah, so there's a, a few other things, wasn't there? So the thing that's kind of so obviously the, the booing was a surprise. Also, you lol upstairs was a surprise. Yeah. But the biggest one for me, and just I really, I think this is a really, a really important topic for us to talk about. He said that, um, and this, and also not only did he talk about two players being unfit, he was also quite aggressive about this. He and he says, I keep telling you this, I don't know if you listen to me, but he isn't fully fit. I hope people listen. And who are these people? I don't know who they are, to be honest. No. Um, and I don't know what you guys, yeah, sorry, in case you guys are saying upstairs. Yeah. So almost insinuating that Shropshire, BBC Shropshire, are saying stuff in the press or on the radio to make us question Mickey Manor. Mm. But he said that, Ebanks Blake and Warley are both aren't fit enough to play more than 60 minutes. So if they're not fit enough to play more than 60 minutes, okay, I understand you've got to try and get them back up to match fitness, but do you play two players who are not match fit? No. And what has... So, I don't know, what's, what's your thoughts on that? No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't risk it. I don't think there was any real reason to rush Wally back. It, it, you know, it, it's tricky, isn't it? He wants them both. He obviously wants them both back but the fact I, I, for me I'd have sub Wally off regardless of whether he's fit or not he was just pretty rubbish to be honest with you and I would have done the same yeah. thing with Seb you know, but then was that because he was playing in, some respects, in the wrong position him. go on say that again Ali sorry was that because he was playing in the wrong position well, yeah, probably. Um, but, you know, you could say that maybe he was just saying this fitness thing. They didn't look fit, but he could just be saying that to protect them because they were so bad and he knows that they'll be getting a lot of grief. So, you know, instead of them getting grief off the fans for being poor, he could just be like, oh, well, they, were, they weren't fully fit, so we'll give them another chance. But, it, and, and as I say, I don't think they're the only two that aren't 90-minute 90, 90 fit. I think that O'Brien's struggling and I think that Grimmer fades away in the last 10 minutes and, you know... That that can be a problem. It really is a problem, and that probably points to why we let goals in in the late minute. Barry, and then obviously this week in the last minute of injury time. You know, is there an issue there with the overall match fitness that we just we're desperate for that finishing whistle, or we're desperate for that half-time whistle to go in and just recharge the batteries because somehow in the middle of September, Mickey Mellon has been incapable of producing a squad that is fully fit, and that rests on his shoulders. That's just poor. That's just poor management of a team. Mm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, um, I think it's good when we disagree. I think yeah. I disagree with you on that. I'm not sure maybe it was fitness. I think it's mental fatigue or mental, mm. men, mental, um, for, a bit of mental fragility in the team. When the final whistle went, all the players just kind of stood still and their shoulders just dropped. Yeah. Um, Mickey Menon did actually didn't leave straight away. He kind of stood on the pitch for a few seconds um, and then kind of turned around. Um, but the players, I think it's, I think it's a mental issue. I think there's something, I think they're lacking confidence. Um, and I think I think there's something mentally wrong with the team, and that's that's one of the frustrations I have. Mm. Kind of going back to Ebanks, Blake, and Warley. What has what has um, Leach Smith got to do to start? Don't know. In pre-season, he scored a he scored a fantastic goal um, away at Solihull Moors. Doesn't really matter who he's playing because it was just about a strike. He's got pace. He scored. T- he didn't you say in, in our at the start of our pods that he scored ten goals last year? Yeah, yeah. In he's League One, yeah, more prolific so, than Ebanks Blake was last year. So why isn't he starting? And don't why know. did he not? I just don't get it. So so you're playing. Let's say so if you've got Warley who's a, who's a winger, why not play him on the wing? And if <laughs> you've got a fit striker with um, like Smith, why don't you start him? And but, Ebans Blake hasn't really done enough for me to start anyway. No, but Mellon's always going to have that. I haven't got players who are fully fit excuse this season. If you think about it, because because we can't get a lone player, any lone players in. We've got this big squad, right? So are you telling me that if old um, Charlie, old Shoelace, as my brother calls him, um, or Waring were to come in and play from the start of the game on Saturday, they're not going to be ninety percent match fit, are they? Because they've hardly played this season, and there's a lot of players who've. Because we mix the team so much and we don't play that consistent eleven, you could say that they're all going to be lacking match fitness over the course of the next few weeks. And, and unless he finds a settled team in a settled formation, plays them week in week out, he's never going to have that. So for me, you can't really keep using you know use that as an excuse anymore, really, because that that that's the situation. I, I guess it's different for Ebanks Blake yeah. because he never had a preseason, maybe. But well, for us, he could have had one at Chesterfield, I guess. But he he's he's not just lacking match fitness; he's borderline un. Unwell, <laughs> I'm joking, yeah. but he, yeah, he, honestly, he good, I know he's a, he's a big, tough, powerful man, and 
that's kind of his, his thing. But I don't know. I remember seeing him for Wolves, and he was quite a lithe, quick fella. And obviously, over time, times things have changed, maybe. But maybe I was, maybe I didn't view him the right when I was younger. But yeah, he's, he does not look like he's um, he's anywhere near a, a League One player. Yeah, no, two no, games and, hard and to he jump. hasn't scored for a long time. No. Yeah, everyone's excited because they were thinking about the leaked um, the Wolves version of um, Evans Blake. Mm. But um, there's a reason Chesterfield didn't keep him. Um, no. No. It's a bit frustrating. So yeah, so talking of players, it's a bit frustrating for the players. And yeah, it comes back to our theme before, doesn't it? That we're not playing the same formation and we're not yeah. playing the same um, team. So yeah, it'd be nice to see a bit of a settled side. It's funny, it's tricky not to keep repeating ourselves on some of these points yeah. because it's just like different ways into the same problems. And I think going back one stage, that's another thing that um, is probably frustrating the fans the most is that a lot of us can kind of see the problems and and, are saying the, and fans are saying the same things about consistent selection, play your best team, find your best team, you know, stick with it and play a bit more attacking, be more, you know, everyone's coming up with the same points and maybe we're not football managers, but we're there and that's what fans want to see. So you've got to kind of, you know, any manager that just completely ignores fans' views and, and doesn't make, take a note of declining attendances and booing at the end of the game is on a hide into nothing, really. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think was um, I think we've covered yeah. <laughs> most of the points there. There's quite a lot mm. of um, negative things. Well, I think one thing, just to give, in, give to be, let's be fair, one thing Mickey Mellon was honest about is that the second half was poor yep. and, uh, and the football was not good enough. And, so he was honest yeah, enough and, to admit. Yeah, he did Go admit ahead. that it was on his shoulders, didn't he, right at the end? Like. Yeah when they were specifically talking about the home form, which was a question you could tell he did not want to answer. <laughs> you could sort of take, there was a sort of sharp intake of breath, but um, he sort of admitted that it was on his shoulders and it's it's him that's got to change it. But you, you get some credit for that, I suppose. But in general, I think that the, the overall reaction from fans on that interview was one of a man on the very, very edge, wasn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I think probably just where we close the game off here, I also said to you, remember, I had that, I heard that uh, an interesting statistic. Oh, yeah. So when um, the interest statistic I heard, um, and I stole this from the um, EFL highlights, um, is that um, Shrewsbury Town have not had a clean sheet for 19 games. Really? God, I didn't even realise that. It creeps up on you, doesn't it? <laughs> but then, yeah, yeah. I suppose that's all at the end of last season as well, isn't it? Jesus, that's bad, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so I thought I'd save that for the pod to get your reaction. But, um, yeah. Sure, sure you'll have people <laughs> despairing when they hear that. <laughs> oh dear. So, so yeah, let clo- close this off for Scumfort game so we can talk, I think, about Salop News. And um, yeah, we'll talk about a few other things, we'll carry on talking about Mickey Mellon and yeah, maybe look ahead. Yeah, we've decided other, we've comments. decided to move the Mickey Mellon chat that we're going to have now. Uh, although we have talked to him quite a lot there, me and you are going to sort of have our say on it, aren't we? And what we personally yeah. feel, because I think it's right for us to say that. Um, but we've because we've, there's not much other Salop News, we're going to move that into the next section. So uh, we'll move into Salop News now. Good turn by Ryan Woods. Chance to get the ball across as well. It's into the centre and headed in from close range by Tom Bradshaw. And just two minutes gone, Shrewsbury have taken the lead. So, the Salop news. Uh, We've moved a few things in here from the the chat before, really. But um, there were a few interesting things from the game on Saturday that we picked up, wasn't there, Ollie? And the first one being um, that people might have seen is there was a couple of interesting people at the Scunthorpe game who you might not necessarily have expected to see. The first one is ex-Cheltenham boss, um, and I think he's most recently ex-Kidderminster boss, isn't he? Mark Yates, yeah, he um, who I believe, from from things I've been told, is that interviewed for the job before Mickey Mellon got it, and was actually one of the sort of last three candidates. So to see him there on Saturday was a bit interesting. Whether he's <laughs> thinking he's going to sort of put his name in the hat again, can you see the writing on the wall, or maybe maybe he's just there scouting for someone, who knows? But it seemed a very strange one that he sort of surfaced in the back of the club again at, at quite a tricky time for Mickey Mellon. It's not great as a fellow professional, is it? You know, so have him leaning over your shoulder. But um, yeah, what do you think about what about Yates being there? Yeah, no, it was interesting. Yeah, so just for those on Yates's career so yeah he's manager of Kidderminster Harriers Cheltenham and um, yeah more, more recently Crawley Town oh Crawley it was yeah um, yeah and yeah he might have been scouting so he might have mm. been doing that but um, yeah it's, um, it always gets um, people excited doesn't it when there's um, yeah. and I heard that it was going around the terraces wasn't it that the, yeah. the Mark Yates was at the game so yeah it was interesting and yeah, it kind of adds pressure, doesn't it? When um, if you're a, you know, sometimes you see that on Sky Sports, don't you? <laughs> I don't know, some managers under pressure, and the, the the stadium pans up to the, the director's mm. box, and you see a, a, a well-known manager there. <laughs> so yeah, it does put a bit of pressure on him. Well, he wasn't in this director's box, so that's a good start anyway for Mickey Mellon. But if I was Mellon, I'd have been pretty raging at that. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have thought as a fellow professional that 
he'd be too chuffed with that. But anyway, there you go. It's a dog eat dog world, isn't it? Football. So also, yeah. old uh, Gary Peters was there again. He, apparently, Gary Peters is a massive regular at the town. And again, I believe he's a scout. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But there's two theories to the Gary Peters one. One, he wants to get back in at Shrewsbury. Or the long-standing mad rumor that I, I would be quite funny if it was true is that Gary Peters is apparently massively independently rich, potentially worth more than Roland Witchley, and he wants to buy the club. <laughs> I'd heard oh, that before. Yeah, I've yeah. heard. I've heard both. So I heard that he's a scout. So I heard that he does that. And you, I heard that scouting a game is actually a really poor income. So yeah. he obviously does that for the love of the game. Mm. And um, yeah, I heard he is it property or something like that. Um, yeah, but, uh, I believe yeah, it is. Yeah, he's done yeah quite I think well his wife himself. did some sort of deals out in Spain years ago, and uh, he's also got a finger in a few pies as well. But yeah. Oh, we'll have Gary Peters next as the next chairman. Who would have, who would have thunk it? But <laughs> there we go. But he was there again as well. But they were they were the only two manager ex managers of note that were there. But what, we're not really talking about Roland too much, have we? A bit. But what what are your thoughts on Roland, the football club, and where we are? Just out of interest, I tricky one. Yeah, I think I think he's done a fantastic job overall. So you talk about this time frame he's been in charge. Yeah. Um, and he's led the club. So we've got a new ground. It doesn't flood. We've got insurance. We make money. And yeah, he's done a fantastic job. It kind of missed a trick. Um, on the design of the stadium Completely, um, yeah. there and i know there's a few fan one one fan in particular um who won't name his name but he'll know he is if he's listening who loves who wants the corners filled in again he talks about this regularly um so that, but i think we missed a trick on the stadium but overall i think he's done a fantastic job mm. in terms of the infrastructure and the business side i think you know if there's probably still room for improvement and that's why we have a you know we have a uh, managing director um, kind of running the club but overall I think he's a really good chairman and I'm quite proud to think you know we've got a, a ch- local guy who runs the club and you know has the club at heart I don't think his choice of managers have always been the best yeah costly because that's a sack a lot of them but um, yeah I, 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 I don't disagree with you right I, for some strange reason the football club think I have a massive not the football club per se but some people at the football club think I have a massive vendetta against Roland Witchley which I don't I would agree with your comments there save the football club moved us on it got us into a new ground which looking back was not maybe what we were promised or we wanted we we maybe got blindsided on the excitement of a new ground and didn't as a fan base probably didn't think about what we actually needed we we could have been more driven on that and i was involved in some of the umbrella group meetings and i, and I think we could we're not responsible for it but i think we maybe could have pushed for more but anyway that, that's a whole other story from a whole other era yeah. but I, I would agree with you and and that doesn't really bother me too much i i do think having had personal dealings and, and potentially and other things that it can be quite difficult to work with as fans and, and can't take criticism. And then that's another issue that causes people to get a bit irate about certain things. But like the badge. Yeah, like the badge and, and all of that sort of thing. And, I, you know, I'd, I played a big part in trying to get that back. And it, and it was like, you know, trying to get blood from stone at times. But we do get there eventually. And, and it takes CEOs yeah, but... to cajole people or certain fans that he's used to talking to and, and, and things like that. So it's not he's not the worst chairman in the world. What, what what fans are starting to talk about off the back of James Hughes being there and wondering why he was there is people are starting to worry about the future, I think, in some respects. And I think we're probably going too deep into it at the moment. It might be something to visit, you know, another time. But there, there are worries about what's after Roland and what his plans are for the football club. And I think that's a legitimate question for, for us as a podcast and the fan base or the sports pilot to ask the football club at the moment is... You know, we're getting to a point where Roland Richley's done this fantastic job. He's had some some tricky times. He's had some time, tricky times with the fans, but we want him to leave the football club in a great state, so that he's at least got a legacy of of moving us on maybe to the next level and and getting us stuck there. And I think that's what people are thinking about. I, I know James Hughes being the West End is a bit of a leap to there, but there there were some people talking about it. So, yeah, I I'd, I'd be personally like to know where we're headed in the future and and how long Roland plans on sticking around, but. He doesn't have to tell us, does he? It's his choice, no, I suppose. He and exactly, um, yeah, he he's quite a private man as well, which is fair enough. You can be private in life. So I think that the worse town's form gets, and this is a standard thing for chairman, the more people are going to start to ask tricky questions about the chairman. Did you not think it always rises the pressure on a chairman when we're doing crap as well, which it probably should do, I suppose. Yeah, it's, he's in that position, isn't he? And I think I think this. I remember hearing this. He was. Um, he was a bit upset that no one just kind of like thanked him when we did get promoted, and it's kind of that thankless yeah, that. task, isn't it? You know, you, um, you know, a, a chairman or an owner only really gets discussed um, when um, you know no chairman gets discussed when they're going out buying loads of players. No, um, everyone loves them at the time, and that's the kind of the way it goes. And yeah, you do get flack when things are going mm-hmm. going tough. Um, but you, yeah, you can't blame him financially, I suppose. We had no. the ninth highest budget last year and all that sort of thing, and he certainly backs his managers. I don't, don't doubt that at all. But um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what comes in the future. At the moment, he's he's got some big decisions to make maybe in the next few months, and 
maybe the next manager may be his last manager who knows and it, and that might be quite an important decision so anyway I, I don't want to go on too much about Roland but I think yeah. it, it's just interesting that James was there and, and there's not much more to say than that either anyway anyway I know Ollie you've been looking yeah. at our, our form we just wanted to have a quick chat about that didn't we? yeah so the form so in the last pod I kind of talked about the last 10 home games um, and I kind of just double checked because I did it quick on the fly last time when we were in the middle of the pod but I did check again and yeah what I said was true and and losing again still keeps our um, last so our last ten games at home. We've got six points and thirty. Um, I kind of also toted up the um, the goals as guys who scored thirteen goals in that time and conceded twenty one. Um, that's kind of highlighted by that fourth three four mm. defeat to Peterborough, but also does include the five one spanking from Wigan we had there. So um, apart from those two games, most of the goals scored the goal the goal line has been quite close. So one goal out of here or whatever, but still. Six from um, from thirty is not good, which awful. kind of talking. Yeah, it is awful. Yeah, so talking of statistics and kind of coming to this, it kind of takes us nicely onto a vote. So that the on the Shrewsbury Town Facebook group, and I think you think there was one done on Blue and Amber as well. There was a yeah a, a, a poll, wasn't there, about the what the supporters felt about Mickey Mellon, mm-hmm. and it's not a nice thing to talk about because at the end nope. of the day, he's a person, he's got a family, and you know, that's the things we have to say. You know, I think Mickey Mellon seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, everyone uh, says that, but but the results. <laughs> he's a good manager. The results of us, yeah, exactly. So the results are results. But interestingly, so on the fact that the end of August there was a vote, wasn't there, about whether Mickey Mellon should get sacked or not, and kind of in tune with what we thought was the kind of the mood of the fans, sixty percent of the fans said no, he shouldn't be sacked. So that was quite a considering how long you know the form has been going on, the Chesterfield result last year, and whatnot. Um, yeah, sixty percent of the fans still said that Mickey Mellon should remain in his job. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, someone did a poll, and if you were probably an official pollster company, you'd probably say that this was kind of taking the heat of the moment. Yeah. However, um, there was a huge swing, a huge swing from one side to the other. So let's pretend we're on um, on BBC Two or BBC One on the elections. There's that swingometer. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone from forty um, percent of fans saying no. I'm sorry, saying yes, he should be sacked, to a whopping eighty-seven percent of fans mm. polled on the Facebook group um, said okay. he should be sacked. So that's so before. In terms of the number of votes, um, it's fairly similar in terms of the number of votes. It's about one hundred and fifty voted um on saturday so it's a fairly decent number um 87 yeah. percent of the fans said that you should be sat i i i think you're right we talked i mean back in end of august we did a podcast and i gave my <laughs> considered thoughts on how the fan base was on a cusp didn't i and i said i don't feel like we're at a point where most of the fans want mickey mellon to go i wouldn't say that's a fair thing to say um but i do feel like he had a few games to save his job conversely we've had those games and it, you know we've been <laughs> beaten at least twice, maybe three times in that period, and there was the Cambridge debacle where we lost to them in the EFL Trophy, which, you know, despite our uncaring opinion of that trophy, was a terrible result, um, and, yeah. and maybe said more about the confidence at the time than we probably thought. So it hadn't really gone too well, and I'm not really surprised to see that. I- I'm happy now to, to say, I think, from my own personal viewpoint, having watched almost all the games this season, all of Mickey Mellon's tenure last year, that I think, I think, I think we need to, I think, I think, <laughs> trying to get more words out, I think that it's probably time that he moves on. And I doubt he's going to resign. That's a whole other thing. But I think that Roland should probably have a, a chat here and start talking about contracts being cancelled. For me, I just don't believe that we're going to see the change in the exciting amount of entertaining football that is going to get us the results in the next 10 games that would make me think he could stay. I just I can't see that happening. So if that's the case, I'm more of the view that we cut our losses, we bring a new man in who can work with a squad of team of players that Mellon will admit, and I would probably say are better than last year and are more league run ready, ready but someone that can come in with fresh ideas and just get them motivated, get them going, stick to a consistent plan and, and get the fans to buy into it because... Mellon's lost a lot of the fans now, as you say, more than 50%, way more than 60-70%. I think that it's now, for me, he's got to go. So that's where I am, and I'll, I'll happily say that. Yeah, I was, um, when we had that conversation before, I was kind of saying I was I felt like I was a bit behind you, so I mm. probably needed a bit more. But <laughs> after Saturday, um, kind of as we said, the tactical side, um, the chopping and changing, hearing the post-match interview, criticising um BBC Shropshire and questioning some of the choices in terms of fitness of players. I I I feel like now it's time for a change as well. Mm, um, I just feel the players of the confidence, the confidence of the players is really low, um, and you know it's 
it's not you know we don't want this podcast to be a pod that we come out and slam people and criticize nope. people but it just nope. feels like we're not you know we are we making progress no we're not and I actually felt after the game on Saturday we're actually going backwards a little bit um, yeah so yeah so I, I I'm surprised I didn't think I'd be at the same place as you I thought I'd be you know a few weeks behind you but no I'm um, with you on this I left yeah. that game thinking I think for best for both both parties um and also a lot of fans have a lot of talk about Jackson and there's a lot of opinion about Jackson I think um I think we right if the um the the assistant manager and the manager did move yeah I don't think that I I don't think anyone in the whole of the football club is going to countenance Jackson coming in as a caretaker manager, whether he st- whether he stays as a coach or not. I I can still see that happening, Ollie, personally. But if he stays as a coach, he can't be caretaker manager. So I don't know how they get around that. Anyway, but yeah, for me, he probably has to go as well. But that's a whole other question, isn't it? Because I think there's been a lot of debate as to people saying, well, if we've got this crap defensive record, then Jackson's Jackson's the problem. But the football club have been on the defensive this week, haven't they? Saying, well, that's not how it happens. We only have one specialised coach, and that's Danny Coyne, who does the goalkeepers. Everyone else just you know, does a bit of everything. So they're all culpable for the defensive problem. So it's, it was strange to see them being on the defensive like that. But I guess you've got to back your scrap, haven't you? But yeah, it's interesting that you're in the same place as me. I didn't think you would get there quite as quickly. And I, I say, I, I even me, I'm quite reactionary at times even I've only lost 100% of my faith in Mickey Mellon as of Saturday you know even after Barry and our podcast last week we were talking weren't we and neither me or you were saying that he should definitely be sacked then you know and it's just taken that neck losing at home is just a bitter pill to swallow for everybody after what's been going on and I think that's what's tipped most people at the edge Ollie you, you sit right behind me but you see all the sort of people I sit around various ages various people from different backgrounds you know family other people my friends there was not one person I spoke to who didn't say that's it, that's it. I think Mellon's got to go. Almost everybody I spoke to universally outside the game, um, afterwards at, par- at a party I went to today, you know, people who, you know, I know everyone I've spoken to, you know, has said that it's time for Mickey to go. So I think it does say a lot, doesn't it? You know, that, that the people we've talked to are sort of on the same pages as well. Yeah. There's a few people that sometimes get criticized, um, on the Facebook group for being, um, I can't think of the term, um, club apologists or something like that you know apologizing yeah. but you know back in the club all the time and this and sometimes i get criticized for that but i think more i'm just i don't know maybe fair or you i don't boot know boot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe i am but yeah i think there's a there's a shift and there's people that you'd you know kind of hard you know you see that you've seen them making a comment and you want to have a look there's a couple of people who are still who I have a lot of respect for their opinion are still saying they should, they still want Mellon to carry on. Mm. But yeah, when, when you start seeing, um, let's not name names, but other fans that we kind of respect their opinion and we kind of know saying that um, the manager should go. Yeah. I think it's, it, um, it's, quite it's interesting. Crazy. It was, it was a little incident at the end of the game, which kind of does point to the fact that we can't, we can't sit here and say that every fan wants Mellon to go. Cause that's not entirely true. But at the end of the game, yeah. a couple of lads I bumped into were telling me about an incident where on the way out, um, they were they were sort of booing and and they were sort of passing on the comments that they think it's time for Mellon to go and someone from near them said you've been waiting all match to boo you only came here to boo and they were like well no that's our reaction to the game we we personally feel that and we're allowed to feel like that you know we're fans we paid our money um, and the other guy was trying to say to them look there was some endeavour there do you know what I mean and they're still playing for the manager which I, I guess you can still say kind of but f- for me you know if that's endeavour it wasn't really much endeavour was it particularly in the second half there wasn't much endeavour or playing for manager there it was sort of you know it wasn't good so there are some people still there who are always going to want to not change and, and think that <clears throat> the old Alex Ferguson thing in it god how many times you read that well Alex Ferguson was on, on the back of being sacked before he won that game and you know he kept his job and look what he did to Manchester United that's that's rare isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Most lower league clubs change their manager, and a lot of them experience a massive degree of success quite quickly when they get a new guy in. You know, Oldham changed their manager last year. They're not doing as rubbish as us this year. And you could point to a, quite a lot of clubs down the bottom of League One like, at the end of last year who changed their managers, who are now comfortably in the table and have been playing more entertaining football than we have. So if we'd have changed Mellon, you know, after the Chesterfield game last year, potentially we might not even be in the bad situation we're in now for all we know. So. You know, a change is nothing to be feared. It can, it can be, it can be looked at as a positive, in my view. Yeah, no, definitely. As I was talking to, um, as you do at halftime, talking to uh, to um, to Callum and Ian, um, and my girlfriend was at the game, and one of the things I kind of said, and they all kind of they didn't really say anything. It's kind of agreed that um, it felt a bit like a pre-season game. Mm. You know, there wasn't there was that little bit of confusion sometimes, and 
you know, yeah, it, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it doesn't feel like we're making progress. But um, yeah, let's not labour the point. I think we kind of said yeah. what we need to say, haven't we? And, um, I think it's only fair that we do say it though, Ollie, because it's it's easy for us to say, you know do a podcast and and say you know we're going to have our, our sound shoes retained. We want this podcast to grow. We want to at some point be able to work with a football club and you know interview a manager or talk to a player and provide some exciting, interesting content for people. You know, and hopefully we're doing that. But we've got to, to to do that job we we can't not have our viewpoint because we're worried about what yeah. the football club are going to think of us Ollie. and that no, goes back to what we said about the press before uh, one thing I would say for um, Mark Elliott and, and recently is the thing I've enjoyed about it is he's honest and he says what he feels and that's that's good as long as you're an honest person in, in any kind of media you're producing you know not that this is particularly the media but it is a kind of media you've got to got to be fair and you've got to say what you feel and, and that we both reached that point the same weekend is is interesting in itself because I think it just points to that specific result being the culmination of maybe a year now of, of stuff that is pretty much difficult for Melon to get away with so there we go anyway yes, you're right let's not neighbour yeah. the point I think the last thing to talk about is just <laughs> Melon may well still be in charge obviously he's uh, we're recording this Sunday night like we usually do and he's still currently Shrewsbury Town Manager so we're all off to AFC Wimbledon. Um, we're going to go and see Tyrone Barnett score the last-minute winner against us. So uh, <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what are you thinking about that one, mate? Yeah, so um, just f- uh, for context, so, yeah, we've got AFC Wimbledon away next, which is quite interesting because quite a few fans have been making the comment that the um, the away dugout is very close to the away fans. Oh, God. So I remember that, yeah. Potentially could be interesting. Not sure if I'll make this one. I've got a lot of travelling this week. I'm going to Switzerland and going to the north of England and all over the place um, with travelling and work but we've um, but Wimbledon um, in the last three games they on Saturday they beat um, Charlton at Charlton 2-1 so that's a good result Tyrone Barnett scored Um, they um, lost at home to Sheffield United 3-2 and they beat um, Chesterfield um, 2-1 at home so you know Charlton's a good result Sheffield United big club no close and um, yeah lost to Chesterfield so Wimbledon have got I think they're one point ahead of us in the league it's not going to be an easy game yeah they had a worse start than us didn't they but those last three results have seen them shoot up above us now so um, they're obviously you know it is a team in form versus a team out of form basically looking at that and also we're away from home I suppose the biggest benefit is we are away from home um, where our form is slightly better so you know yeah. there's, there's that possibility of it but I can't <laughs> I have to say I can't see us winning and that's the um that's the disappointing thing about it. I think before we'll, we'll talk about our predictions for that game in a minute when we go into the last section of it. But yeah, it's going to be going to be a tough game, um, and we'll just uh, have to see. I'm probably not going to make that game either, Ollie. So I think it's probably worth us putting a shout out here to um, anyone that's going who wants to sort of send us a bit of a match report. Um, I know we've got quite a few guys. That, there's a couple of guys that write a blog, and there's, there's guys that did it last time for us that are interested in getting involved. So um, yeah, if you're listening to this today and you want to just drop a message to the old Twitter account or um, the Facebook page and let us know you'd be interested in doing something for the Wimbledon game. That would be great, guys. So we're not going to get make this one, so we might miss Mickey Menno's last game, Ollie. What do you make of that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <clears throat> let's see see what happens. I'm, yeah, I was kind of, yeah, I think we'll be, everyone will be waiting to see what, if any anything comes out of the club this week, so it will be interesting if they if there's a change or if there's a statement. I think if that does happen, I'm, I think we'll probably try and get a podcast done if maybe Menon's sacked on Monday, which some people were rumouring, but... We'll just have to wait and see. If, if he does get sector money, then we'll come back and do a quick podcast about it, I think, Ollie, just yeah. to cover yeah, what's happened, where he's it. gone. Because the, the other last interesting thing I wanted to make on that is, did you see that Tranmere sacked their manager today? Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, I saw that. And um, I was actually, their game was on BT Sports, so I kind of watched it for five minutes. Mm. Um, Ethan Jones didn't really um, didn't really get the ball. Um, I was getting ready to go out, so I didn't have time. What I was doing, yeah, I was going for a run. Um, so, yeah, I um, saw him play. But unfortunately, Ethan, I didn't see you... Um, get the ball <laughs> no but the reason but I say yeah. that is yeah it's because obviously Melon is a Tramier legend isn't he really and uh, looking at their message board and if you look at the odds of next manager to be Tramier manager he's in like the top three which is, is weird it? so yeah and also okay. they're not they're also well, you know I know <laughs> they might not have had the best start of the season but they're fifth in the conference after seven games you know it, people are talking about us, us being mad to sack our manager when we're like third from bottom <laughs> after like 10 games but you know that seems like an even badder decision so there's obviously something gone on there maybe maybe they've got the tip off and, and it's they've done it on the Sunday because they know there might be news coming on the Monday so who knows Ollie we might have who more knows? news to report on later this week but I just thought it was interesting yep. that's all so uh, I think we'll close off the old salad news and slash rant <laughs> um, and then we'll move into the last section now in our predictions and, and close this out here it's to Lawrence he's been left for Bobby Grant onto his left foot and he drives his second and doubles Shrewsbury Town lead 
So here we are in the um, final section of the podcast. Um, let's do our predictions. Um, so um, yeah, we went with our head, not with our heart, didn't we? In the uh, yes. predictions for um, for last week. So um, so you went for a two nil. Um, I know. Win. I was Paddy Madden miss close. away from getting it right, mate. <laughs> um, and I went for a three one. So I thought they they would have their shooting boots on, but as you kind of said, their fans and their manager weren't that impressed with how they played. No. So yeah, they only won one nil, and I went for three one. So we both got a point there, and we're tied on four all. So we finally had some points. Yep, yep. It's about time we got something right, at least, wasn't it? I was quite close to getting it right this week. So progress yeah. is being made. You talk about you want to see progress, Ollie. There's some progress. Um, so we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do the Wimbledon game for our prediction this week. Um, obviously tricky for us to to predict anything too positive again. Basically, after what we just talked about. So as I said before, I think I'm, I think we'll probably lose. I think it it'll be tight like most of our games. So I think I'll go for us to lose two one. And I do think that Tyron Barnett will score against us. I just think it's fated in it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. And, and and if that happens, it just completely and utterly ruins Melon a bit more, doesn't it? And the pressure just becomes even more untenable. So if that yeah. does happen, I, I do fear for the bloke. But um, yeah, I'll go two one Wimbledon. Oh, um... I'm, I don't know. Since I we said I said um, I think we comment we said on the pod or not, but often Mickey Mellon does turn it around, doesn't? When we have some pressure and mm. that's a few better results, and we thought we'd get that, maybe we'll get that um, away at Wimbledon. Yeah, um, so I'm tempted. I'm tem- I'm going to go for one all. I'm going to go for a draw. You dreamer. You said you dreamer, Ollie. Yeah, I know. I'm so <laughs> ambitious. Dare to dream. So yeah, I'm going for one or draw. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, well we'll we'll, we'll put it in the old uh, spreadsheet and we'll see what happens at the end of the game next week. So yeah, I, w- I did say let's have a bonus prediction, Ollie, for an extra bonus point in this competition to make it interesting. Do you think by the time we sit down to record our podcast, so next Sunday, do you think Mickey Manor will still be our manager? I don't think he should, but I think do you think he will club, be? But the club often, I think, do take their time to make these decisions. Uh, I think Sim- he will be. So yes or no? So you're going to say yeah. yes? I, yes, Mickey Mellon will be our manager next week. Again, despite our views on it and the views of a majority, I also think he probably still will be manager by next Sunday. Uh, so there we go. If we both get that right, we'll have an extra point, Ollie. So it doesn't really make yeah. any difference now. But there no. we go. It was just interesting to see whether you think, you know, we can have our say on what we think will happen. It's That's our view of what we think, sorry, of what we want to happen. But the view of what might happen is obviously always slightly different with Shrewsbury Town. So yeah, there we go. So we'll close the podcast out now. Thanks for listening. I think once again, we've managed to do an entire hour, <laughs> more than an hour now on one game, but it's just the nature of it. I think we've started this podcast when there's a hell of a lot of things going on at the football club and, and with managers and stuff. I don't think it's always going to be this exciting and, uh, you know, passion, well, not passionate, but this this intense. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, anything you want to say, Ollie? No, yeah, no, yeah. It's like I said, it's kind of like when we were doing the prep. Um, I think Mickey, if Minnie Mellon hadn't done that um, press conference, press conference after the game, yeah, we'd probably would have had less. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've probably been half the size of the pod. But um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate feedback. Um, yeah, it's good to get everyone's kind of thoughts and comments. And um, yeah, please follow us on Twitter um, at Salabcast. Um, and yeah, we appreciate your comments. So any questions or ideas, yeah, please send us our way. So cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. And, and um, yeah, let's see what happens next weekend. Yep, see you next week, guys. Thank you. Bye. But the important question is, which is the best new nickname for Sylvan Ebanks Blake? Sylvan I Like Cake, Sylvan T-Bone Steak, Sylvan Cabri's Flake. Let us know what you think, and we shall instigate it as his official nickname on behalf of the Salopcast.